The following message entitled, Living in a Dark World in the Light of Heaven, part 42 of the series, A Righteousness of God, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 22nd of March, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Okay, please open to Romans 13, or if you don't have a Bible, we'll project these verses. This morning's message is called, Living in a Dark World in the Light of Heaven. Living in, in a Dark World in the Light of Heaven. And we'll be starting at verse 8, Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this church. Bring so much joy to us as pastors. Just pray, Lord, that You would help us to live in light of Your return to live lives of holiness, to live lives of love. And I pray that Your Word this morning, Lord, open it up to us by Your Spirit and speak to each and every one of us, I pray, including myself, Lord. Please help me to serve Your people this morning and preach Your Word, Lord, effectively. And let this Word just build us up and strengthen us. Please help us, Lord. We thank You that You will. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me ask you a question. What would you do if you knew that you had one week to live? Somehow you knew this was your last week. Would you go out and sin as much as you could? Would you go out and just get as drunk as you could and get as, do as many immoral things as you could in one week? Would you spend your last week on earth quarreling with people and envying people? Or would you go out and do as many good things as you could, looking for as many ways to love people as you could, knowing this is your last week to lay up rewards in heaven? God tells us in His Word that the night is nearly over. The dark days of this age are drawing to a close and the glorious, bright, unending day of heaven is about to dawn. And so, in light of this, believers in Jesus have a debt to pay, which we're going to look at in a minute. We have a debt to pay and a glorious day to look forward to. 
So let us pay our debt. And this passage urges us to live as if this day has already dawned. Pay our debt and live as if the day had dawned. So in this passage, Paul is talking about how to live in a dark world as believers in Jesus Christ. He is not primarily talking about how believers should relate to other believers in this passage. He's talking about how believers should relate to those in the world. Now, in Romans 12, Paul talked primarily about how believers should relate to one another. Now he's talking about how believers should relate to unbelievers. So, in chapter 12, Paul said that believers are members of Christ's body and we're members one of another. We're to use our gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. We're to love one another with brotherly affection. We're to try to outdo one another in showing honor. We're to contribute to the needs of the saints. And we're to seek to show hospitality. And we're never to take revenge. Now this would include non-believers. We're not to take revenge on non-believers either. But most of chapter 12 is about how to relate to one another as believers in Jesus and members of His body. Now Paul, as I said, is talking about how we are to relate to the world. And so he started Romans 13. If you were here last week, he started Romans 13 by telling believers how to relate to the governments of the world. And if you weren't able to hear that, you can listen to that on our website if you would like to. So now he's going to tell us how we relate to our neighbors and co-workers and people that we live with in this world. And so he says we have a debt to pay and a glorious day to look forward to. And we're going to pay this debt as we live in this world and live as if the day that's coming had already dawned. So believers have a debt to pay. What do I mean by that? Believers have a debt to pay. This is the first point. Believers have a debt to pay. In verse 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He says, owe no one anything. Now, Paul is not saying we must never ever borrow money or ever have any kind of debt. In this world, both in business and in life, we may borrow money at times. For example, to buy a home or start a business or we may take a line of credit out to put a new roof on our home or whatever. Uh, there may be times we need to borrow money from friends. Um, but what he's saying is we should pay these debts back and pay them as soon as we are able. One man that I studied said that for Christians to just incur debt with no thought of paying people back, is to take advantage of them. And he says it's not only unbecoming for believers, but it brings shame on the name of Christ. If we're just going out and borrowing money with no intent to ever pay it back, that brings shame on the name of Jesus. So he says pay your debts. Pay off your credit card. Make your house payment. 
Pay your bills. Now, I know at times people get in trouble and so forth, but we shouldn't be living a lifestyle like that. Pay your bills. Don't borrow money from people with no intention of paying them back. This is not the way believers should live. But this is the way the, the Bible says many unbelievers live. Psalm 37.21 says the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. So see, we should be generous. We should give. We should lend freely. But we shouldn't have a borrow and not pay back mentality. And so we're to pay our debts. However, we have one debt that we've got to keep paying. One debt that we never pay off until Jesus comes back. And that is, he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. And so a Bible scholar named Ellicott said, when you have paid all your other debts, taxes, and customs, and reverence, and whatever else you may owe, there will still be one debt unpaid, the universal debt of love. Love must still remain the root and spring of all your actions. No other law is needed besides. I really like that. This debt remains. One debt remains. The universal debt of love. And I really like how he said, love must remain the root and spring of all your actions. That's, that's to be the root and spring of our lives is love. That's our debt. We have a debt to every other human being. The universal debt of love. We must love others, both Christians and non-Christians, as Jesus did. I mean, think about this. God calls us as believers in Jesus to love everyone. Everyone. Even people you wouldn't be drawn to. Even people who, are, who, who would sin against you. Jesus said, love your enemies. And we're to keep paying this debt. And if we do, when we pay this debt, we fulfill God's law. So verse, starting with verse 8, Owe no man anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, when he talks about the law, he doesn't mean the Ten Commandments, although he does quote the Ten Commandments. But notice he says, and any other commandment. And he says, all of the law of God, it just means God's law in general, is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All God's commandments about how to treat others are covered by this one. And I, I just think, how simple, how profound God is. How simple and profound. If you do this, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill all the other laws. See, we don't need a great big book 
to describe every situation you're going to be in with people. We don't need a great big book. Oh, what do I do in this situation? What? It's all we need to know is one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, this uh, a couple two winters ago, not this past winter, I I bought a snow blower and and I was out blowing the snow off my driveway and I looked a couple doors down and I saw an an older neighbor woman shoveling her driveway. And so I immediately I I just went over there. I have I got a snowblower. And I just said, hey, let me do this for you. And I just did her whole driveway. It took me like 10 minutes max or something like that. I didn't have to say, what do I do here? I see one of my neighbors out shoveling her driveway. I need a book to tell me. What is this? Let's see, page 938. When you see your neighbor shoveling their driveway all by themselves, go help them. All we need is one thaw. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, he says if you do that, you won't do any wrong to them. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He says if we commit adultery, we are doing wrong to our neighbor. We sin against the person we commit adultery with, and we sin against their spouse, and we sin against our spouse if we're married. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he not only sinned against Bathsheba, he did wrong to her, but he sinned against her husband Uriah, and he wound up killing Uriah. If David had really loved Uriah, he would not have done that. If he had really loved Bathsheba, he wouldn't have wrecked her marriage and killed her husband. So there's a positive and there's a negative feature. He says our ongoing debt to love negatively does no wrong to someone else. Positively, it, we love our neighbor as we do ourselves. So we don't do wrong and we love them as we would love ourselves, positively. Another way to look at it is the golden rule, as it's called in Matthew 7.12. Jesus said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Again, simple yet profound. That's not real hard for us to remember. You know, today, when you go home, you're not going to have to remember something really complicated. Let's see, Mark talked about the purpose, the procrastination, and the pitifulness of... No, just remember, love your neighbor as yourself. Not hard. Whatever you wish that others do to you, do to them. Now, think about this, boys and girls. What would you like your brother or sister to do for you? Would you, like to, would you like them to let you go first at something? Then do that for them. Say, hey, why don't you go first? Why don't you pick what you'd like to do? Why don't you play the video game first? Why don't, why don't we watch the show that you'd like to watch? Is that what you would like your brother and sister to do to you? Yeah. If, if there's one cookie left, what would you hope your brother or sister would do to you? You would hope they'd say, hey, why don't you take it? Well... You do what you would like them to do to you. Do you want someone with a full grocery basket in, in, in Martin's or, or Walmart or whatever, and you've got two items, and there are long lines 
And you come up and there's a long line and everybody's standing there with their full baskets guarding their spot. Isn't it really, what would you want them to do for you? And you've got two things. I would want them to say, hey, you go first. So, if I want people to do that to me, when I'm standing in line with a full basket and I see the person behind me has two things, I say, hey, why don't you go first? Just do whatever we want people to do for us. Have you ever been driving your car and pulled out in front of someone when you really shouldn't have pulled out? You really, you should have just let them go by, but you, 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 you know, you get in a hurry, you think I can make it, and they have to slam on their brakes, they honk their horn at you. Well, how, how would you want them to respond? How do you respond when someone pulls out in front of you? See, I, I think to myself, when, when people pull out in front of me and I'm tempted to say, oh, you idiot, why didn't you what? I just think, you know what? I've done that. Hey, I've pulled out in front of people. No big deal. Not in that big a hurry. I can be anywhere in Indiana in 10 minutes. Really, do I have to be irritated when someone pulls out in front of me? Whatever you want others to do to you, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's our debt. That's our life. That's with everyone. That's with your next door neighbor. That's with your next door neighbor and you don't appreciate the way he takes care of his yard or whatever. Well, why don't you just go over and rake a little further than your boundary lines. Serve your neighbor. That's the debt. It's an ongoing debt until Jesus comes back. Now, he says, we're to live as if, the la- as if the day of heaven has arrived. So we're living a life of love. And then he says this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now the picture here, there's a picture that Paul is thinking of when he writes this. And it's, it's a bunch of soldiers lying on the ground asleep. And the first gray streaks of light are beginning to appear in the sky. And now it's beginning to get lighter and lighter. And yet the soldiers are lying there snoring away. And so Paul says, wake up! Wake up! The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Throw off your night clothes, the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Start doing the works of day, the works of light. He says salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. When he says salvation is nearer to us now, he is he's saying this. In one sense, we're saved when we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, when we believe that He's God who became a man, lived a sinless life, 
paid for our sins, died on the cross when he, when he paid for our sins, when He died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. When we believe in Jesus, we have everlasting life. We have eternal life at that moment. We're saved. But, our salvation is also ongoing. Jesus is doing an ongoing work in us. And there's, our salvation will be complete when Jesus returns and when we are given our new heavenly bodies that can't suffer or have any more pain. Our salvation will then be complete when we see Jesus face to face. We'll be saved in the end from the wrath of God if we follow Him. So we are saved and He is saving us and He will save us. And the day of Jesus' return when our salvation will be complete is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The eternal, glorious day of heaven is nearer now than when we first believed. My dad and mom are in heaven now. When they first became Christians, I was in my early 20s. I couldn't picture them dying. But they both lived for Jesus and served Him now. And, and they, are, they have entered into their eternal day. In the blink of an eye, all of us who believe in Jesus are going to be together in the, the eternal day of heaven. And Paul says, in light of this, here's how you should live. Cast off and put on. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off or lay aside, the New American Standard says. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and so forth, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The, the idea is that the eternal day, heaven is about to dawn. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The eternal day of heaven is about to dawn. It's a whole lot nearer now to me that I'm 65 than when I was 23 and first said a prayer to ask Jesus to come into my life. The night is far gone. This dark age, this night that we live in, is far gone. So let us cast off the works of darkness while we still have time. Let us cast off sin and start doing the, the works of light. And so he says, live as people of the day. Live as if that day had already dawned. So he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. As if that eternal day had ever dawned. Let's live like we're going to live in heaven. In heaven, we're not going to be having orgies or getting drunk or committing sexual sin or be, we won't be quarreling or jealous in heaven. So let's start living now as we're going to be living in that eternal day. That's what he's saying. Cast off the works of darkness. Don't do them. Stop 
course we need God's help. We need God's grace. We need God's power. We've got to pray. Not just, it's not always easy, but he says we should do it. And we can do it, and we should do it, because we're new creations in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, our fundamental identity has changed in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified or set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, the key word there, such were some of you. Your fundamental identity, when you believe in Jesus, you are born again. Your fundamental identity changes. You are now a new creation. You are adopted by God into His family. You are a a joint heir with Christ. Now this doesn't mean that it's easy this doesn't mean we, we, we won't fail at times. This doesn't mean that it just is a snap that it happens automatically. No. He says, put off. We have to do it. It doesn't just happen automatically. Oh, I'm a Christian now. Sin's just going to go away from me. No. It's a fight. It's a battle. We have to put it off. But we can do this with God's help if we pray and seek the Lord and get others to pray for us and, and put sin to death as best we can. And if we fall down, we get back up again and ask Jesus, help me, Lord, to put this to death. Romans 6 says, we're no longer slaves of sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign there. Don't let it be the boss. Don't let it be the king of your body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. See, Paul's writing to Christians here. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians and he says, if you're a believer, don't give yourself to sin. Don't present the members of your body to sin. Don't say, okay, sin, you can have my eyes for a while. Okay, sin, I'm going to give you my body to, to, to do what you want. No, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Lord, I want to use my hands as instruments of righteousness. I want to use my eyes, my tongue, my mind, my ears. I want to use my whole body as instruments of righteousness. And then it says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. We are no longer slaves of sin. It may feel like you're a slave of sin. You may have these strong urges, but you've got to remember, 
God has put you in a different position now. He's done a different thing in your life. Your, your fundamental identity has changed. You're no longer a slave of sin. You don't have to sin. Now, sometimes it just feels like we have to, but we don't. And so he says, put off sinful behaviors. And then he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Walk properly as in the daytime. In the new day of heaven, we won't be doing these things. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus. That means we seek Jesus for His help to act as He acted and walk as He walked. Would Jesus curse His enemies? Would Jesus curse the guy who pulls out in front of Him? Would Jesus commit sexual sin? No. Would Jesus speak disrespectfully to His dad and mom? No. Would Jesus disobey His dad and mom? No. We're to put on Jesus. Would Jesus reach out to the lowly that no one else would want to reach out to? Yes. We must act like Jesus. Would Jesus look to the interests of others? Yes. That's why it's so important that we abide in Jesus. We, we read His Word. We, we pray. We ask Jesus to make us more and more like Him. Jesus, help me. I, I, hundreds of times during the day, I'm, I'm praying that. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me to turn away from sin here. Jesus, please deliver me from this sin. Jesus, please deliver me from this temptation. A good idea, a good practice to put on Jesus is to read the Gospels on some kind of regular basis. I try to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I try to read through them or listen through them a couple times a year as well as other Scriptures. But I always want to have the Gospels in there because I want to act like Jesus. I want to put on the Lord Jesus. That's not a hard and fast law or anything where you have to read the Gospels every year, but that's a practice that, that has really benefited me. And then, and then he says, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, our sinful nature, the flesh, when Paul talks about the flesh, he means our Sinful nature that is living in our flesh, our bodies. Even though when we receive Jesus, our sinful nature is no longer the dominant nature. It is no longer fundamentally who we are. It's still there. And so we have to crucify it. We have to put it to death. And I've often thought of this, that in the days of actual crucifixions, people would hang on the cross, but they wouldn't die right away. They were going to die. They would die eventually, but they could be up there yelling and cursing at people and spitting on people. Well, our flesh has been crucified when we believe in Jesus. But it is still alive in a sense, and it's, it has desires. Those desires are desires to sin. Our, flesh desire, our sin nature in our flesh desires to lust. Our sin nature desires to get angry. Our sin nature desires to have things that other people have. Our sin nature has desires. And we have to put those desires to death. We have to put them to death. And, and it says, make no provision 
for the flesh. We can't feed it. If we feed these desires, they will grow stronger. If you're tempted to lust and you give in and you, wa- you just keep watching the show on television or you just keep watching the thing on your computer, your, your desire to lust will get stronger. If you feed the flesh, it grows stronger. That's what it means when it says make no provision for it. Turn off the TV. Turn off the computer. Get away from the temptation to sin. Stay out of the car in the park in the dark. I heard one man said, a good run is better than a bad fall. And this particular guy, when he'd be tempted to sin sexually, he would literally go out and run. Now, I'm not saying that's the way to do it necessarily, but we can't feed it. Galatians 6.8 says, One who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, they're sowing and reaping. If, if we sow to the flesh, we'll just keep reaping more and more from it. The flesh, our old nature is like a foul, wicked pit bull on a leash. And if any of you love pit bulls, I'm I'm just making an illustration. It's like this horrible, mean animal on a leash. If we feed it, it gets bigger and stronger and meaner and eventually it breaks the leash and wreaks havoc in our lives. If we starve it, it gets weaker and weaker and it can't do as much in our lives. Our sin nature is going to be with us till we go to be with Jesus, and then it'll be gone. Won't that be a great day? It won't be able to exert its desires anymore. But now we've got to starve it. We must choose on a daily basis. Am I going to sow to my flesh, or am I going to sow to the Spirit? Am I going to act on the desires of my flesh, or am I going to act on what the Spirit wants me to do? You know, when, when you sow a seed... When you sow, you don't see the results right away. And so we think, oh, I can give in to this sin and I can sow to the flesh. And you won't see the results right away. But it's now in there. There's a seed that's going to grow. And eventually, we'll reap corruption from it. We think, oh, look, I did this and nothing happened. Oh, don't get that attitude. Because you'll reap down the road if you sow to the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. We'll reap in this life. And we'll reap in eternity as well. If we sow self-control, we'll keep growing in self-control. Every time you exercise self-control, you're sowing a seed to the Spirit. You're tempted to get angry and you say, Jesus, help me. I forgive that person in Jesus' name. You've just sown a seed to the Spirit. You'll you'll grow stronger and stronger in being able to forgive people. 
You're going through a hard time and you're, you're really suffering, but you say, Jesus, Your Word says rejoice always. I rejoice and I thank You that even in this painful situation, You are causing all things to work together for good. So I praise You, Jesus, in the midst of this pain. You just sowed to the Spirit. And you'll reap from the Spirit. If you keep sowing, every time you serve someone else, you're sowing a seed. You might not reap right away. You may serve your brother or sister, and you say, okay, I'm waiting for somebody to serve me now. And nobody comes and serves you. Well, just keep sowing those seeds of serving. You obey your dad or mom cheerfully, you're sowing to the Spirit. And you'll reap from that. God is not going to forget a single thing we do in His name. Jesus said, if you give a drink of water to someone who is a disciple, you won't lose your reward. So all day long, think about it, from the time we get up, all day long we're sowing. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. And, and reaping too. So you can start off by waking up in the morning and start sowing right away. Jesus, thank You for letting me wake up this morning. Thank You for Your protection during the night. I praise You that Your mercies are new every morning. You, you're already sowing seeds to the Spirit of God. If you, if you do that, you're driving to, on your way to work and you just say, Jesus, I praise You for this beautiful day. What an incredible God You are. You're sowing seeds. You'll reap. So, we have a debt, an ongoing, universal, never-ending debt to love others as we love ourselves. Every time you love someone, you're sowing to the Spirit. And because the night is almost over, God calls us to live as if the day were here. To walk in holiness. To walk in purity. To walk in self-control. To put sin to death and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I'd like to do. Instead of having the band come up as normal, what I would like to do is just have us all stand and let's just pray together. And if you have anything that has come to your mind that you would like prayer for, or if you have prayer needs for anything, we have a prayer team that will come up in a few minutes and you can ask them to pray for you too. Lord, we thank You. We just thank You, Lord, that we have a glorious day to look forward to when there will be no more temptation, no more sin. It will be easy to walk in the light. You won't have to fight to walk in the light. But Lord, we, we ask You, Lord, for Your help. Help us do these two things, Lord. Help us cast off sin. Help us put on Jesus and help us love others, Lord, and pay this debt. Lord, and we confess we are so weak in and of ourselves, and we can't do this in and of ourselves. But we thank You, Jesus, that You want to help us to do everything You've commanded us to do. So we ask You to help us to grow in these things, Lord. In Your name, Jesus. And we ask this for Your glory, too. Amen. Amen.